Howdy, guys. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor at Restoration Church. Let's jump into our message. We're in week three of our series, Influence. And uh, I want to tell you the name of a guy that maybe you've never heard before. His name is Norman Borla. He was an agricultural scientist. And uh, he worked from the, like the 1940s and 1980s. I think he died uh, in 2009. And he had uh, taken a job in the, in the 1940s with the Rockefeller Foundation. Uh, he took the job with the Rockefeller Foundation in Mexico. And he joined a bunch of U.S. scientists and Mexican scientists to begin to work on the farming crisis that uh, existed in Mexico and in many parts of the world. So he, uh, when he took the job there... Uh, and he began to see the starvation in the country, the poverty in the country. On one of his trips there, he wrote this, uh, he wrote this back home to his wife. He said, these places I've seen have clubbed my mind. They are so poor and depressing. I don't know what we can do to help these people, but we've got to do something. We've got to do something. You know, we see problems in our world today, and, you know, they're everywhere, and they're, and they're, they're major things that are happening. Uh, you know, one thing that's being talked about in our culture right now is uh, the violence and mass, mass shootings that have been happening, obviously, with the tragedy that happened on February 14th. Uh, it's one that everybody's talking about. Also, in our world, there are an estimated 24.9 million People who are trapped in modern-day slavery. There are 844 million people who don't have access to clean water. 795 million people who suffer from chronic undernourishment. There are corrupt dictatorial governments that exist all over the world who are oppressing people and taking advantage of people. One example is the country of Iran who has the world's youngest death penalty executing children as young as nine years old. There are 65.6 million people around the world who have been forced from their home. Among them, nearly 22.5 million refugees. Over half are under the age of 18. In the United States, there are 20 million children who live in a house without a father. And then it's estimated that there are 1.6 billion people in the world who have never heard the gospel, have never heard about Jesus, not even one time. So you look at our world and you look at those problems and, and even the ones that I didn't list, you see injustice everywhere. You see injustice growing, becoming more prominent, even some just injustices being celebrated you see, evil increasing, and it can feel like evil's winning. It can feel like evil's going to overtake it all, and it can even be pretty fearful. But there's no doubt that it's prevalent, and it is no argument that it is growing. We look at, you know, we look at these problems that I listed, and, and we think like, We've got to do something. And we look at our friend or our spouse and we, and we, we may even express it. Like, we've got to do something about this. But then once we, we really begin to look at the problem, we begin to say, you know, the problems are too big for us to make any difference. 
there's just really nothing we can do here. As an individual or as a church, we look and like, oh man, that's Restoration Church. It's just too small. We don't have enough resources. We come to the conclusion that the problem's too big and that I'm too small. But I really want to, I really want to come against that type of thinking this morning. I don't think the problem, I think it's not that the problem is too big. The problem is not too big. Your God is too small. By that, I don't mean the God of the Bible is too small to handle these things. It's your view of God, your theology of God, your understanding of God, your faith in God. That's too small. Maybe you're even serving another God. You don't believe in the God of the Bible. And so the God you're serving, yes, he's too small. It's too small. But these problems are not too big for the God of the Bible. I want to, uh, if you get your Bibles, open to 2 Chronicles. I want to uh, go over a historical account that's found in the Bible. And it's in 2 Chronicles chapters 22, 23, and 24. And so obviously, we're not going to sit here and read all three chapters uh, together. So we're going to be jumping uh, We'll start at 22, we'll jump around a little bit in each chapter, um, and then giving you some of the key points of the story, fast-forwarding through other parts of the story to help you to to capture what's going on and for us to understand how God moved then and hopefully to understand how he can move now. I'll give you just a brief overview of the key people that are recorded and their lives are recorded in the Bible the first is, and I, I'll tell you right now, I probably am not pronouncing these names accurately, but it doesn't matter. Like, this, th- that was uh, about probably 3,000 years ago. Uh, they lived, and I'm in New Hampshire now, so, I, you know, I'm not part of the he- Hebrew culture. I, I would assume they would mispronounce my name uh, as well. So, first is King Ahaziah. Then there's his mother. Athaliah, and then he has a baby, comes into play in the story, baby named Joash. And then there's a married couple, Jehosheba and Jehoiada. At the time that we're reading this, um, right before the part we're about to read, King Ahaziah is 22 years old. He's the youngest brother, but he's become king because all of his brothers, all of his older brothers have been killed by the Philistines. So he is king by default because there's no one left in his family. He was king for just one year. So he's 22 years old, king for just one year when he himself was assassinated. The throne was empty. So by so his his mother, Athaliah, she sees an empty throne and she sees an opportunity to gain control. So she takes the throne by terror, and her first act is to have all of her grandsons executed so there would be no one who could take the throne over by her. She is a ruthless, evil lady. So we're going to start reading in Second Chronicles 22, verse number 10. This is just after Ahaziah's death. 
When Athaliah, the mother of King Ahaziah of Judah, learned that her son was dead, she began to destroy the rest of Judah's royal family. But Ahaziah's sister, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Ahaziah's infant son, Joash, and stole him away from the rest of the king's children who were about to be killed. She put Joash and his nurse in a bedroom. In this way, Jehoshaphat, wife of Jehoiada, the priest and sister of Ahaziah, hid the child so that Athaliah could not murder him. Joash remained hidden in the temple of God for six years while Athaliah ruled over the land. For the next six years, Athaliah ruled in terror. And the way she started her kingdom was the way she ruled her kingdom. It was treacherous and it was dangerous. And there was one godly couple in this story, Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada. Jehoshaphat was the king's sister, and so obviously she was endangered. There was no telling how many relatives Athaliah would kill and at what point she would stop. And then there was her husband who was serving as the priest. And they were in danger, and, and, and I'm sure they didn't know how much. And at some point, you know, they could say, well, he was, the king was your brother. You're loyal to him. We're going to kill you both. And the problem that they faced was big. It was an evil leadership, a murderous leadership. They were in danger. But they didn't just run. They put their life into even a more dangerous situation when Jehoshaphat risked her and her husband's life to rescue one life. There's a principle here that I want us to learn. Maybe you write this down right now. As we continue in this message, I want you to get this and understand this. And I want you to really begin to live your life this way. When you can't save everyone, save one. We look at these big, huge problems that, that face us. You just begin to think. Is there one person that I can rescue? Is there one person I can help? Even rescuing one life makes a difference. Think about Jehoshaphat. She enters that room where all the kids are gathered because the queen's gathered them all up. She's just going to execute them all. So she sees her nieces and her, and, and her nephews, especially her nephews, all gathered together. And she must have been overwhelmed. And there was a lot of kids there, you, you know. Uh, uh, Ahaziah was one of 40 children that, that his father had had. And, and so likely he lived the same way. And so he, there was many children there. And Jehoshaphat, she looked at that. She going to think, there's no way I can rescue all these kids and just give it up right then. But she began to, she grabbed the one she could rescue, that she could hide in her cloak. And went and hid him. And that was noble, and that was godly, and that was great, but that's just the beginning of this story. Her and her husband hid the baby for the next six years. They hid him and raised him and taught him 
in the temple somewhere Athalia was never going to go. And they had this plan, not just Jehoiada, Jehoiada had this plan, not just to rescue a baby, but he had a plan the entire time to rescue a nation. And what he did is, as the baby grew, for six years they hid the baby. And when the time was right, they revealed him to all of the captains of the armies. And he had a plan that he laid out. And in chapter 23, you can turn there in verse number 3. He begins to enact the plan. They all gathered at the temple of God, the captains and their armies, where they made a solemn pact with Joash, the young king. Jehoiada said to them, here is the king's son. The time has come for him to reign. The Lord has promised that a descendant of David will be our king. Just imagine that for a little bit. Here's the six-year-old boy and all of the army's captains. And Jehoiada and the army's captains say to the six-year-old king, we pledge ourselves to you. We make an oath with you. We will defend you. We will follow you. You will be our leader. What Jehoiada identified is, yeah, there was a big problem. A big, dangerous, scary, ungodly problem. But there was a bigger God. Now he said that in verse number 3. We see he's quoting a promise of God. The Lord has promised that the descendant of David will be our king. He, he knows what God said. I know what he spoke. So the child's revealed. And the child's crowned. As we think about our world... There is, you, you have got to know what God says. You have got to be in the Bible and, to, and, and know what God says because there'll come a time and a place where you have to stand on that because we're all going to encounter these difficult times. And sometimes people tell me, I've tried praying. I'm not going to pray anymore. It doesn't work. I've tried doing these things. Listen, sometimes it takes time and we don't know why God doesn't do something instantaneous. But there's a plan that he's enacting there is a path out of where you are that he will always come to pass. It will always happen. And they didn't know how this six-year-old was going to rule. But they knew what God promised. And though Athaliah tried to eradicate the family line, there was one left. And though there may seem, seem like there's no other way out of the situation you're in, there is one way. God always, throughout the Old Testament, left a remnant. There was always, they could never be eradicated. The plan of God could never be stopped. And so, and so you've got to know that. No matter what you're in right now, you've got to know, all right, it's a big problem, but there is a bigger God. And in Psalm 94, 15, there's a promise here that, that maybe you can memorize and you can write down and you can stand on. It says, for justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. You may feel like you've been taken advantage of. You may feel like there's been an injustice done to you. And you can get bitter. You can try to get revenge. You can try to blame it on God. But there is an opportunity for you to stand on God's promise and say, all right, what's been done to me is not right. But I know God is going to restore 
what's been done. God is going to restore my life. God is going to defend me and avenge me and take care of me. So what happens is they crown the king and there's a celebration. People are dancing. People are shouting. I mean, this is a big party. So Athaliah, she hears this party going on. And so she's in her house or her castle. I don't know what they called it back then. And, and it's next door to the temple. So she walks out and she sees, she sees armed guards around the temple. And so she goes up and they let her go in. And they just, she, she just walks right into the temple. And she, she just imagine she sees this little kid that she's never seen before in a crown. And people are calling him king. And she just has like this like moment and she doesn't know what to do she she tears her clothes and begins to yell trees and treason and like trying to get the guards to kill the child and to kill Jehoiada and they don't move in fact they take her from the temple and they give her the death penalty for the acts that she did and in verse number 21 we read so all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was peaceful because Athaliah had been killed. Peace for an entire nation because two people rescued a baby. Big problem, but there's a bigger God, and he offers this tiny solution. This seemingly insignificant solution. We see that in scripture and you'll see that in your life. That this huge problem and then God brings this little thing that's somehow going to make a difference. That we can overlook it, we can disregard it. But we can see from this account that Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada, they didn't just save Joash's life. They saved hundreds or even thousands of other lives through their act and through their lives. There's, there's no way to measure what they did. There's no metrics we can put behind this. In chapter 24, verse number 2, it said that as Joshua was king, he did what was right. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight throughout the lifetime of Jehoiada the priest. He lived Godly. He ruled in a godly way. He took the counsel of the priest. He, he treated people right. He didn't oppress people. He didn't kill people to protect his throne. He removed the, uh, he removed the foreign gods and he removed the, the child sacrifice and the other uh, ungodly rituals that they had. And he led people to return to worshiping God and to worshiping in the temple. It's a tiny, tiny solution where they did what they could with what they had. They, the wife had a cloak that could hide a baby. The priest had a room in the temple. They had the scrolls to begin to teach the young child. And he had the influence and the reputation to invite the army captains in to enact a plan. To restore peace for an entire nation. What have you, what do you have? 
What do you have? You think, well, it's just, it's so tiny, it's so small, it'll never make a difference. We've, we've got to realize who God is. It's a big problem, but it's a bigger God. And though he might have just given you this tiny little thing to use to make a difference, will you be willing to use it? And you have got, you have got to make a decision, and we have got to make a decision to use whatever influence has been given you, use whatever influence has been given us, for God's mission to rescue and save those who are facing injustice and to reach those who have never heard about him. It's a little thing that you have, but will you use it? Will you let him use it? At the beginning of the message, I talked about this guy, Norman Borlaw, and you know, Here's what he did. So as an agricultural scientist, he, he took that job in, in Mexico, and he left a pretty good, like, well-paying job for DuPont back in the day to, to, go, and, to go to Mexico and work on this. And, uh, and, and, and so what he did, you know, he, he began to work, and he was able to develop a seed, and this seed was a wheat seed that was, that was resistant to drought. That was what he did. He developed that seed. And what happened because of his development is um, at the time, you know, he, he talked about when he was there, it was just poverty and, it was, uh, and it, they were having tons of uh, drought problems and crop problems and farming problems. So it was just poverty and starvation. By the 1960s, after he developed his seed, Mexico became the world's leading exporter of wheat. And then that seed was sent to India, and it changed life there. And then it was sent to Pakistan, and it changed life there. He was given the, um, the Nobel Peace Prize in 1970 for developing this seed. A seed. And he's one of just three guys in the world who's won the Nobel Peace Prize, the Presidential Medal of Honor, and I believe the third one's the Congressional Medal of Honor, and you've, you've never heard of, heard of him. He, he just, just think back to what he said that I read at the very beginning. He saw everything that was going on in Mexico. He said to his wife, I don't know what we can do but we've got to do something. So what did he do? He, he doesn't have the influence to be able to do anything. He doesn't have the money to be able to do anything. What does he do? What does he do? He's an agricultural scientist. I mean, that's not what people are, are hoping to be like, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to be an agricultural scientist. Like, that's not how people live and how people think. But his heart's broken. There's got to be something he can do. So he's like, well, I'm a nerd. I'll use that. And so he develops a seed, a tiny, insignificant, seemingly stupid solution. Like, how are you going to help to change the world? I've got a seed. I've got this little seed here. But you know, he's credited for saving nearly, he, he's credited for saving one billion lives. That's why they gave him the Peace Prize in 1970. 
because that seed changed the world. What do you have? What do you have that God can use? Think about Pastor John who was in here in our first service and 15, 16 years ago, he took a trip to Tanzania and he just got a burden in his heart. There are 10,000 orphans in the city of Misungwe. There are 100,000 orphans in the greater area of Mwanza City. He thought, I need to do something about this. And so he begins to build an orphanage. It took I mean, it was slow going. I mean, it took one year for them to build a fence. It took 12 years for them to get running water. Little by little. And now there's 25 kids in that orphanage, and the majority of them who have been there six years or more, they've been fed, and they've been clothed, and they've been educated, and they've been discipled. As one guy said, I better do something. I think about Marilyn Taylor, who's in this service. She had a heart for ladies who were in jail. So she leads a Bible study at the local jail. When she started, she was going through the training. The person who was training her said, it's different people every week. No one ever really comes back. But over the last year, year and a half, she's led that Bible study every Monday night. Over 100 women have gone to the Bible study. And what I, what a part of this that I just absolutely love is those ladies come back as long as they're there. And it, they're, it's a transitional jail, so they're sometimes only there for a little while, then they're moved to another jail. But as long as they're there, I mean, they're coming. It's, it's these same ladies every week. Sometimes people leave and they end up back in there because of their choices, and, but they come back to the Bible study. And uh, over this last year, year and a half, um, Marilyn's had the privilege of leaving four of those women to give their life to Christ. Something, there's a huge issue. Like, I don't know how many inmates, how many female inmates there are just in New Hampshire. It's a huge issue. What can I do? What can I have? And Marilyn's like, yeah, I'm just a single lady. What can I do? How can I make a difference? And what happened? Well, I, I got a Bible, and I've got a Monday night. God, can you use that? It makes a difference. And people's lives are changed. I think about Brian Bassett, who's a uh, Assembly of God U.S. missionary ser serving in Durham, New Hampshire. He looked at the problem of human trafficking and, um, and, and, and look at the issue of those who are sexually trafficked uh, and the brutality of the people who are going through that. I mean, I think it's 4.8 million people, women and young boys and young girls who are, who are, tra who are trapped being used and misused. And he began to look, well, what do I have? What can I, what can we do in this area to make a difference? And so he started Freedom Cafe, which is in Durham and now is in a couple colleges in New England. If you go on their website, it says this, uh, 
that their cafe would be a simple entry point for individuals to support the creation of a traffic-free world, beginning with one ethically sourced mug at a time. Begin to look. He's like, what do we have here that we can make a difference? And we got this free space in this building we can use, and we can put a cafe in it, and we know how to make a coffee. So if we can do that, and we can staff it with volunteers, and we can use the profits to fund the mission, but then we can use it to raise awareness. And he started that cafe, and now he's on the, the board of New Hampshire for... Um, for ending human trafficking and he's been given a place of influence because he said, God, what do I have? Get a coffee maker. We've got this free space we can use. Then on a more uh, national level, uh, I think of Dr. Ben Carson, who you'll recognize his name because he had run for president. Uh, But he grew up in the inner city in a violent and uh, and gang-run neighborhood, was in a single-parent home where his mom worked all the time, he didn't have a dad. His mom made him and his brother read books. He eventually went on to become a world-renowned neurosurgeon and brain surgeon, famous because he was the first doctor to perform brain surgery on a child in the womb. Brilliant, brilliant man. He realized not every kid has got a mother like his that's going to force their kids and, and just knowing how can I, what can I do to help the, the millions of kids stuck in situations like I was in. And so he and his wife started the Car- Carson Scholars Fund. Since 1994, the Carson Scholarship winners have attended more than 500 colleges and universities. And they have received more than $4.7 million in scholarship funds. So they didn't know what, what they can do, but in 1994, they helped the first student. And I believe in the years that have followed, they've helped uh, seven th- over 7,800 students and given scholarships to them. What has God put on your heart to do? You, you hear about these things that are happening, you hear about these things we talked about today or or even the things we just didn't get to talk about because the list is so long and there's something on that list that breaks your heart there's something on that list that says that can't that can't continue what is it that he's put on your heart because if he's put something on your heart he's put something in your hands and there's something he's given you to begin to make an impact on that there's something he's given you to be able to rescue just one person from that situation what has, he, what has he put in your heart? What is he calling you to do? And you know, it is never convenient to live that out. And you can begin to like, begin, begin to put it off. You're like, well, I got my own family to take care of. I got my own problems to take care of. But if we look at the people in this story, you know, there was, um, there was Athaliah and uh, she, was a, she was a bloodthirsty, uh, 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 angry leader. You know what, who her mother was? Her mother was Jezebel, the most bloodthirsty, the, the, the most famous evil villain of all time. That was her mom. And, and she lived like her mother raised her to be. But there was Jehoiada. And, you know, he rescued Joash, but he also had his own kids. And one of his sons you may be familiar with because he's, he's in the Bible. Uh, Jehoiada, his son was Benaiah, who was one of David's mighty men, who was one of David's three closest mighty men. It was 
It was the, it was the top three, and one of those was Benaiah. And you, you think about how they lived their life, and so what did Athea see her mother do? She lived for herself. What did Benaiah see his father do? Sodom is rescuing a king and protecting, protecting a king. So what did Benaiah live to be? He, 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 was, he protected King David, and he lived to protect King David. Your children need to see you living for people outside of your family. Your children need to see you living to, to protect those who are, who, are, who are facing injustice, to see you protecting those uh, and to see you trying to put an end to these things that exist. Seeing you really living and believing that God is bigger than these things. They need to see that. And what happens is how you live your life slingshots them. Think about that single mom who worked all the time, who said to her son, read a book because an education's going to get you out of this neighborhood. And how, how he saw how his mom lived and how it caused him to live his life. It is never convenient. If you will, will you close your eyes and bow your heads? I want to take an opportunity to pray for you. When God created the world, he created it without these problems and without sin, but sin came into the world, and with it death and with it hell, and it was a huge problem. But God sent one tiny solution. And Jesus left heaven and came to earth as a baby. In an insignificant time of the world, in an into an insignificant country, to an insignificant town, to insignificant parents, the Savior of the world showed up. And God had a plan the entire time that he was working out, and it took a long time. And, and even and Jesus came, 30 years he lived on the earth, living and revealing himself and showing who God is and what God's heart is for people and how God seeks and desires to rescue people and save people and forgive people and love people. Then he died on the cross and defeated death, defeated sin, defeated hell. Tiny solution to change everything. God sent Jesus to rescue even just one life. God sent Jesus to rescue just you. And all you have to do to allow him to rescue you is ask him to. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer that you can say to God, and you can whisper it where you're sitting. You can, you can pray it at home. Without, and, and as I say this, you can say it to God in your own words. But you just pray this, Jesus, I need you. I give you my life today. I ask you to be my rescuer and to be my savior, to be my God. Forgive me for my sins and change and transform my heart and my life. You're, you are my Lord and I decide to follow you. 
pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you keep your eyes closed, I want to pray for you now. Jesus, there is something you've put on the hearts of the people in this room. God, there's something you've given them to be able to do that. God, I pray for the people in here who just, God, man, you're calling them to be adoptive parents. God, that they take that step. God, I pray for the people in here, God, and they, they're just looking at what they have in their hand, and they've got, they've got money they don't know what to do with. May they do it, God. God, they've got a life, and they just, they just got this burden for these people in this other country, God. May they begin to pursue missionary work. God, they, they just feel like there's people that need to know. May they become pastors. God, they, they, they don't know what to do, but may they start nonprofits. And may they lead nonprofits. May they, may they be involved in these organizations, God. May they, may they see that kid and, and take him into their home. May they serve these organizations, God. Whatever it is, God, may they do it. It seems like it's so small. God, if it's what they've given, may they use it. And we can think of other t stories in the Bible where there are people who didn't have much, but you used it, God. You multiplied it. Think about um, the time there was 5,000 people there gathered to hear you speak, and they needed to eat. So one boy came with his lunch. God, you multiplied that to feed the 5,000. God, seemingly tiny, insignificant solutions, God, you use and you multiply and you change the world with and you change lives. And we pray, Lord God, use what we have. Multiply what we have, God. Change lives. Change nations. In Jesus' name, we pray. The band is going to sing and what I want you to do as they sing is to you begin to write down that thing. Maybe something pops in your head from 30 years ago, and you're like, God, you, you, can't, you told me to do this years ago, but I'm going to do it now. Or maybe there's just an issue that's breaking your heart, and you don't know what to do. You don't really realize what God's put in your hands. And I want you to write that down. God, my heart breaks for this. And write down that prayer. God, I don't know what I have, but show me. God, I don't know what I can do, but show me. And write down that prayer. And, and then be obedient to what he shows you. Be obedient to what he tells you.